All right, what do we got? Your Mintrax album assignment from Jason Daphnis. Jason says, Idea and Abilities by the Throat. Rest in peace, Idea. This would be a good one. Welcome to Mintrax, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, joined as always by super producer Jason Daphnis. Hello, everyone. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? Well, you know, up and down and up and down. Just living that, that COVID life. Just um, living that COVID life, me and the Doobie <laughs> Brothers. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're super excited. We have a, a guest that we've uh, been talking about having on for a while, uh, Justice Harrison. Welcome, Justice. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Great to have you. Um, for those of you who don't know, Justice works for uh, Skybound Entertainment, so uh, which is a video game company. Uh, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Skybound and what you guys do? Okay. Yeah, so the the big overall showstopper pitch is, yeah, we're the Robert Kirkman's company and creator of The Walking Dead. Um, so that's kind of where everything trickles down from. Um, and then we have departments for any entertainment thing you can imagine. I work in the video games department and publishing and creative. Um, so, you know, we look for titles and work with them to bring them on to, to top shape before we go and publish them. So it's, it's fun. I miss going yeah. to shows and meeting people. <laughs> I'm glad I got PAX Easton, but man, it's, uh, uh yeah. I think it's going to be a while before there's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just for, you know, I guess you know, people don't follow the industry super close. One of the things you guys did was you sort of salvaged the, um, the Walking Dead video game series from the sort right. of the. I guess the meltdown of Telltale or whatever happened there. Yeah, the the, I mean, it was funny. I want to say I was still an intern at the time, um, and you know, like Walking Dead season one was, you know, really important for me getting in the industry, especially as like a person of color, just being able to see Lee and Clementine have representation. So it was always a, it was a nice, amazing thing to be a part of. Of you know, although it was tragic how Telltale fell, um, it was amazing to be able to be a part of that project and help make it keep the dream alive, basically. Yeah, that's great. So, um, and do you have any, just kind of continuing to kind of promote that stuff? Do you have any new stuff going on? Oh. Or stuff you can talk um, about, I guess, is the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we have a lot of exciting games in the pipeline that we're getting, uh, getting in ship or tip top shape rather. Um, and I don't know if we have a ton of stuff we can talk about on that front, but always keep an eye on Skybound socials for what we'll have in the, in the pipe next awesome yeah everyone check out skybound it's a cool company um so we're gonna get we're gonna start off with your pick the guest pick and this was um a local minneapolis uh rap group kind of i guess legendary local rap group idea and abilities um the album uh, by the throat which is uh i believe their last album and uh yeah i guess you know I mean, I'm, I'm definitely familiar, you know, obviously I was like here in the nineties, late nineties and stuff. Um, and yeah, I remember the whole, you know, when Rhyme Sayers was kind of coming up with atmosphere and ID and abilities and brother Ali and Musab mm. and, and those kind of people, um, I self divine and that, that sort of stuff. And right. it was kind of a big movement. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, your personal history with, you know, ID and abilities. Oh man. Um, you know, when I was thinking about this album and, you know, just listening to it a bunch again to get back in that headspace, I was like, oh, this is kind of like uh, my Nevermind. Not to say that I didn't listen to Nirvana a ton, but, you know, like, um, 
different eras, different ages, of course. This was definitely, like, because the album came out in 2009, I want to say, that it was just a very uh, important coming-of-age album for me. Um, but yeah, you know, like, I'm trying to think back. I think the first concert that I went to, first real concert that I went to at First Avenue, it was Atmosphere, um, Idea and Abilities, and then another act that I can't remember the name of. Um, and you know, when after that show, my mom was like, I'm going to go to electric fetus. Do you want anything? I was like, oh, I'll, I'll skip atmosphere for now. I'm going to pick up that ENA record. Um, so they've, you know, informed a lot of how I think about music creatively, especially this album. Um, and I don't know. It's, it's just, it's so singular. There's not a lot of albums that sound like it and there probably won't be again. So it's a, it's a thing that yeah. I, I, I hold up as a landmark. <laughs> Yeah, and I was definitely, I mean, I'd seen Idea for sure, you know, I don't know, sometime maybe, you know, late 90s-ish at first half as part of like a bigger show, you know, I think right. it was like Atmosphere. And there, there was just, they, they did a lot of shows with like a ton of rappers and some of those right. bands. Like, maybe like an early them. sound set at first half. I don't know if it was a sound set. I can't remember. Okay. I think like this band, there was this band called Los Nativos that was a, right. they were like a Native American. They were really good. They had almost kind of a roots kind of live band thing going. And okay. I don't just, you know. There was a, I went to a lot of shows and I drank a lot, frankly. Right. So, but I, I definitely saw them. But this is so it was interesting because I'd sort of like lost touch with them a little bit by the time this came out, and so it was surprising, in a good way to me that, like you said, it's a very creative record. It's a very different kind of hip hop sound, and it's very different really from like what I sort of associated with Idea, which was really that he was, you know, I think really regarded in the underground circles as probably one of the great, you know all-time kind of 90s like freestyle right. I mean, battle you know, rappers both the uh, idea and abilities both came out of their different battle scenes um i'll try and make sure i get all my information straight here but you know like idea won the blaze battle back in the day um and that was a really big moment i think for minneapolis hip-hop of being presented on the national stage like that um and the abilities i think it won you know several djing competitions as well so you know these guys came out especially with their their first record firstborn was a very different aesthetic to the battling that they had done in the past and then they kind of went back to it for uh ena their second album um but by the yeah. throat it just kind of felt like it was we're gonna do what we want to do and i know for um idea like he he was doing a carbon carousel like another um punk focus band grunge focus band uh before he passed away because he idea passed away in 2010 i want to say yeah um so, you know, that, that's also a little bit of context for this is that we're 10 year anniversary out from uh, ideas passing, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, rest in peace idea for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, some we'll probably touch on because I feel like this record's kind of, you know, haunted by death in certain yeah. ways <laughs> when you hear it. But um, one thing I want to touch on, which is what, you know, you talked about Carbon Carousel, um, which I vaguely remember. I never saw them. I remember the name being around, but mm. um, I'm kind of, I like rock a lot. I like hip hop a lot. I've I've always been sort of skeptical about like rock meets rap kind of stuff because I feel right. like on paper it sounds like it should be good and it tends to be kind of like I mean corny the, to me like the you Jay Z know. Lincoln Park album I will still go back to you from time to time. <laughs> yeah, um, but then there's like Limp Biscuit, you know. Yeah, well, are you um? <laughs> do you know No Bird Sing? There's a couple. Yeah, other... I remember No Bird Sing. Yeah, I remember, um, High Respects. What was that? What's the guy? What's that dude? Uh, oh man, they were cool. The guy's name was Crescent Moon. Oh, um, oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm friends with Crescent Moon. Uh, they, what was Crescent his Moon band, is in Big Trouble. Um, so there's Crescent Moon is in Big Trouble, which he did with... Oh, what was the... 
Oh, it's with Big Trouble. Sorry. <laughs> um, then uh, Mixed Blood Majority um, was another album that they or project that they did. Joe Horton from No Words Sing, Laser Beak from Doom Tree, and then Crescent Moon. Um, and then oh. Kill the Vultures is his his, uh, his personal project with um Yes. Yeah. Kill the yeah. Vultures I've seen a few times, and that's an excellent, excellent band. And actually, that's probably, now that I think about it, Kill the Vultures might be the closest. And it doesn't really sound like this, but I think in spirit. It's it's kind of similar to this, like it has a very kind of skewed, weird, like kind of rock meets like rap thing, right? In a, in a very creative way. But anyway, what I want to get in is I think it's cool because lots of times it just ends up people sort of take like super obvious, right? Kind of corny like metal riffs and like rap over it. Um, whereas this, I feel like he's coming from a different a, def- a different place. I mean, at the same time that all the the, the stuff was happening with Rhyme Sayers and like Doom Tree in Minneapolis it was also a really big time for you know underground rock punk you know, post-punk indie right. rock and stuff. And I feel like he was tuned into that. You know, like, I remember, you know, God, Atmosphere used to do shows like Lifter Polar and Dillinger 4, right. stuff like that. So I think he's just pulling from a way more kind of underground and creative rock sense than right. what a lot of people um do when they sort of merge rock and rap. Because I feel like he was maybe seeing a lot of these bands, like, in small clubs, and it wasn't, right. you know, just sort of, like, what he heard on classic rock radio. You know, and, and just, like, looking back at the, the Minneapolis punk scene, too, you got acts like Soul Asylum off the top of my head that, you know, were, were more accessible here, too. It's it's interesting, too, seeing, you know, how the Minneapolis sound has been characterized and talked about because there's Prince and, you know, the R&B side of things. But I think that there's, you know, the underground Minnesota sound is also pretty well developed and i think pretty diverse but you look at what like idea and abilities were doing in some of the early um, pos records of doom tree um they they both pull a lot of those elements in uh to make a you know a really different sound and i you know we should get to the album yeah, yeah have you heard to uh marijuana death squads at all yeah no i, I know i know some of those okay. guys like okay. some of the drummers and stuff um so yeah they're they're great as well um so i wanted to play because we kind of mentioned, so for people that don't know, I think Idea, you know, passed away ten years ago. I believe he's like twenty seven or twenty eight, very mm-hmm. young. It was I believe it was kind of an opioid related overdose. Um, so very sad, you know. I think he and I think on this album, you you know, you definitely it's a great album, but you definitely get a sense of uh, a troubled soul or something, you know, along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know because uh, you know, um, Kathy, his mom, has been you know out in public uh, and talking about this for a long time. So, you know, there's not been a ton of speculation on it, but there's definitely been some, um, I feel like some songs and some things in the aftermath that, you know, touch on it. Cause this is, you know, every time October comes around, like I was talking, uh, I, I think I talked to Crescent on my radio show in college about, you know, some of ideas legacy. Um, every time October comes around, at least in the hip hop scene, it feels like there's a, there's, there's conversations that take place for sure. Absolutely. And so what struck me was, uh, it's actually the last verse of the first song, Hey Fever, which I think, you know, sets the album off pretty, really well. But this last verse, I think, you know, uh, I don't know, David Bowie put out no Black Star that kind of came out shortly before right. his death. And, and now when you listen, when I listen, I love that album. And I listen to it in retrospect, though. It's like, wow, you know, this guy is <laughs> sort of, like I said, feels kind of haunted. And I think this right. last verse, and especially the last few lines of Hay Fever. So, I, Jason, I want to start at the, like the 103 mark and you kind of get the chorus in the last last part of that song. Because I think it's it's pretty powerful, especially, I mean, he's talking about somebody else. But, right. you know, in retrospect, it, it feels a lot different and s- strikes you a lot different. I was always mad at me. I 
never a place better than right where you are Although imagining an afterlife can tend to mend a broken heart over someone dead It's a way of coping with loss But I don't need you out there somewhere if I have you in my thoughts I don't envy anyone in a position where they're forced to choose Pull the plug or not, I can't tell if this is for me or you I mean I know you're sick, tired and confused But sometimes letting the tired go to sleep is the best thing to do I will hold your head while the doctor sits the needle in I'll always remember our companionship and what it meant And on Sunday, October the 5th your last breath so you know i think the last couple of lines and i know you said he passed away himself in october right um and i i mean you know i, I don't know who he, specifically you might know i don't know who specifically he's talking about in this song but it sounds like a friend that had passed away in some respect um yeah, yeah i'm trying to remember um but it, yeah uh, sorry i cut you off what were you gonna say no i mean it's just it i, I the, when i listened to it i was like wow that you know that verse takes on a different uh Tenor, i guess weight yeah. you know i mean it's it's a very different album than than what they had done before i mean i think firstborn gets into a lot of uh you know more introspective thoughts but like you said or like we were talking about before um you know, idea was widely known for the blaze battle and just being a fantastic freestyler, especially doing the things that uh, he did with um, what, what's the band called? Face Candy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, you know, growing up with this record and dealing with you know my own mental health stuff, it it's always been real powerful to me. Um, listening to hip hop and people that are willing to have discussions about mental health issues. And I think it's become more and more of a, a reality in the hip hop sphere, you know, especially with people like Vince Staples, Kendrick Lamar, Danny Brown. Um, but, you know, I still go back to idea, you know, especially for you know listening to this album and just all the different things that he touches on, whether it's personally or, you know, in communities in America in general, that there's just a lot of recognizable and identifiable components to what he's talking about that, you know, are obviously, you know, colored very differently with his death, but that really, I think, you know, struck a chord with me when I was younger, and I think struck a chord with a lot of other people, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I actually, you kind of touched on something I wanted to talk about, is that, you know, I think the music probably in, in 09, when this came out, you know, like, that song's pretty digging. It's got a lot of, like, I like that really kind of heavy, distorted, like, electric bass. Right. They use on a lot of stuff. There's a lot of electric guitars and a lot of just kind of noisy samples and you know, I would imagine it probably felt jarring at the time, but I was kind of thinking about stuff that came after that, you know, like even, you know, even like stuff is, you know, like run the jewels now right. has pretty aggressive production and something. I mean, and, you know, stuff Jesus. like death grips, Jesus, yeah. death grips, you know, um, and, and that sort of depressive quality, you know, even, and it, this is kind of stuff that I sort of have checked out. It's, it's definitely more for like a way younger audience than I am, but you know, even stuff like juice world and, mm-hmm. you know, little peep and, you know, XXX and some right. of that's the SoundCloud kind of rap stuff. Um, you know, that has a very kind of depressive quality, I think as well. And so yeah. I feel like this album would almost, I feel like if it came out today, it might, it might make more sense to people in a, in a way. Right. I mean, and I, I think that's, you know, that's, that's an interesting point too, because I feel like, you know, when I was younger, this this album was a very futuristic album to me. You know, and thinking about how that they how they style the production, how they build, and what they talk about. Um, even you know, being able to see abilities in concert with, uh, I think he has like some kind of pitch bend pedal that he uses when he's doing the turntable solo. 
Um, and all that just kind of felt like next level stuff. And it's always been interesting to see, you know, people talking about and trying to define what punk rap is as a genre. And this is always the touchstone that I go back to. I'm like, wait, have you guys listened to Idea Abilities? You know of it? Like, I know you were mm-hmm. from Minnesota, but like, this is, you know, this is still a beacon, uh, even, you know, in 2020, I feel like there's still not a lot of albums that sound like it to the polish and execution level that it has. Absolutely. And actually, you're giving me great segues here because <laughs> I just I'm wanted to, to help. The, the next, the next song I wanted to listen to, um, actually features that, that pitch bend pedal. Um, and the thing that I love about this album is that, you know, I mean, you know, whatever. I'm a, a, like an old rap fan. So I kind of miss the DJ element of hip hop. I don't really mm. think that exists to a large degree anymore. Like, especially the idea of like duos being like an MC and a DJ or like the DJ yeah. even really being like part of the group like it used to be. Back in the you know the it's, 80s it's not DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. It is the Fresh Prince, no, and maybe the DJ, but yeah. it's less. A, I mean, you go and look at like classic hip hop. It was Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Now, now yeah. it's so inverted. Yeah, or like Terminator X was kind of a full member of Public Enemy stuff like right. that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, but this is really cool because they're doing kind of a rock thing, and I love that abilities like is really going for it, almost like. He's almost scratching in the sense of like Jimi Hendrix or something. Like right. he's using that pitch bend pedal. He's going really wild with his phrasing and he's kind of almost stretching beyond the, the, the bounds of what you conventionally sort of consider like, you know, scratch routines on records. Um, so I think the, the next song and this, this I think is just a really highlight of the record, this song in general, um, spin cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is just a really strong song. Um, so I, from about the one minute mark on, you kind of get, which I think he does a great verse and the, and the chorus is great. And then it just ends with this almost like, it's almost like a guitar solo really. Yeah. Um, but it's I mean, scratching. It, it, it's funny how like there are some sounds on this album that I would have to listen to a bunch to tell you what it actually is. But when ability starts scratching, like, you know, like there, there's something about it where it just cuts through everything. I love that guitar part too. Right. Yeah, with this, this song, everything just comes together so well. To harden my skin, no matter how I stand, still pulled by the wind. Wind, intention goes limp. Wipe the face off my grin. And love me in the name of kill the people being good friends. A liar's lips are the best fingerprints. You can think it isn't there, but I can taste it when we kiss. Tracing paper wrist. I try to draw the line and I miss. But one day I'll be able to look back at this and make some kind of sense of it. I'm not another shin to kick. One foot in the grave, both hands in a dip. It took a while to figure out we couldn't coexist, but I'm not falling into your abyss. You won't.
that was awesome. It's it's really good. <laughs> Can we talk about the the vocals in that song a little bit? I feel like it's the first time on the album, and one of the few times that he gets like purely melodic with his right. vocals in that chorus. And I think Justice, you called it was it haunting in your notes. Yeah, I mean, some of the songs in here, especially with the harmonies, like very much harken back to a, a grunge aesthetic. Um, and uh, yeah, Spin Cycle is a song that I, I like think about a little bit less generally. But yeah, totally to your point, like the idea starts going for singing a lot more, I think, over this album in general than he did on his previous work. I yeah, just find it really he, interesting that, yeah, it, it, like you said, it really comes together. Um, and this that song really it exemplifies like in in a in a in an artist and an album where they're trying to meld several different genres i guess it's very interesting that not only did they go for the whole like an unusual use of turntable um and and i'm gonna speak like an idiot because i don't know hip-hop or rap very nearly as well as either of you uh but just the like how much they're squeezing into this song and how naturally it feels like Mm -hmm. i would expect there to be some very disjointed edges and you know the melodies the harmonies aren't like super i guess harmonious and beautiful or stuff but they totally fit in mm-hmm. the song i just i don't know it's it stuck with me on first listen yeah no i mean it, i'm trying to put this the right way they're doing something very hard i think which is to sort of synthesize a lot of these styles but it doesn't feel labored and they make it feel pretty natural which right. is kind of the hardest thing to do really in music i think you yeah know, is to, I mean, to make- and i think it spoke to the direction that idea was heading into and just with carbon carousel and the other stuff that, you know, like all, all this. And I think just generally in the hip hop scene in Minneapolis, a lot of it feels so earnest. Like it isn't putting on airs. It isn't trying to be something else. Um, it's just kind of having people come together in the right ways and with the right ideas that make these songs sound so cohesive. And I think, you know, especially in the early two thousands, when so many people were experimenting with different styles, you go and look at atmosphere, especially in just the, the records that they put out through the, the years. There's so much, so there's so many different experiment. There's so much experimentation with these different styles that it never feels, to your point, like labored. It never feels like they're trying to do something that is just doing it for the heck of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, the next song I wanted to get into because I think number one, I really love the production on this song. I love the track a ton. It's got kind of a dreamy feel with like sort of chaotic drums, and also the this verse in particular, he kind of gets into a double time flow that almost yeah. harks back a little bit to his battle days which is uh the song skydiver i think from right. a 136 mark um i just overall just like the song a lot and i but I, I did think it was kind of cool on this particular verse i felt like he got a little bit back to some of that super kind of slippery double time flow right Trust me, 
we'll get out of this lab Now take my hand, it's almost over I apologize for lying, I'm all smiling I'm a frightened little cat to learn to act like a lion While well, I buy a thin speech in the grip of the patience I'm driving this cheap pirate ship to the pavement For the grace of reason, if it's great to need That didn't help me see, nothing's really what it seemed Let it seem, let it seem, till it's green, finally free Then you better leave a maybe right for the head of the king Yeah, that's just a, I, this this track in particular, the music. I love that kind of woozy chorus guitar kind of thing. Right, and it almost it feels sounds like, like they you're floating. Have, yeah, and they almost they, I feel like they chopped up like a drum solo. I like how the drums are like super kind of chaotic, compressed, like, and kind of like fractured too. Yeah, yeah. I just I think that's a really good track. That verse obviously showed you know it's a great verse number one lyrically, but also it you know he definitely dipped back into that bag of like the super technical you know right. times when he's kind of doubling up on the flow and stuff and it you know i think he applies that very well without really overshadowing the song right i mean it's wild to hear the song too because i want to say when i saw them in concert at first avenue i think that they were having technical difficulties with uh, abilities to set up so idea was just on stage making jokes (laughs) for probably like 20 to 30 minutes and then they came out and were like okay if we got everything working do you want to hear some new music um, and this was, I think, not maybe not the first one that they played, but one of them. Um, just they being something from their their upcoming album. And I was like, oh wait, where am I? <laughs> like, what is this? This is amazing. Um, once again, just sounding like such a departure from their earlier work, but also from what other people were doing at the time. Was there a sense, Justice, that at, or uh, sorry, idea was was kind of going places beyond? I mean three albums down with one project and, and more in the works, but was there a sense that he was like really on the cusp of something of, of like real fame? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think, you know, one thing I've been thinking a lot about, you know, with friends in the Minneapolis hip hop scene and elsewhere is just, um, you know, like how many national outlets and how many national outlets give coverage to Minneapolis artists. Um, and that's always been a tricky thing because you think about it. There's Vitamin, there's City Pages, there's The Current, um, but I don't know how much, how many of those have reach outside of um, Minnesota. And you, you look at like Lizzo, um, who was here for a period of time before she blew up and did some collaborations with Minneapolis artists. Like she, she's had that stardom, um, but that was never like outside of the standard and like Alan Kingdom when he appeared on All Day with Kanye West. Like there hasn't been as much of that national spotlight in the Minneapolis community for a while. But I think that you know among I mean, idea. No matter what, was a you know a, a bright star in the Minneapolis hip hop community. Yeah. Um, and I think you know with the Blaze Battle and with other stuff, you know, obviously, dude was insanely talented. No matter what, I don't know um, exactly if it, I would say like he was on the cusp of you know making it nationally or internationally. Um, but you know, the talent was always there. Uh, and there's you know, I could totally see it <laughs> in, a, in yeah. a different world. I mean, then this is my take, and you could just, you know, from kind of being there and somewhat paying attention was, correct me if I'm wrong, but my take was always sort of like, I don't know if he necessarily had the wide commercial sort of acclaim that maybe, you know, certainly Atmosphere or Brother Mm -hmm. Ali or, you know, POS or some, maybe some other people in that scene. But my impression was if you, if you would ask like Ali or Slug, like, who's the best? Right. Like, who's the best around in Minneapolis? A lot of people would have said like, people can't really touch idea Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to see because there's a couple of um, battles. Okay, yeah, I found it. There's like a Brother Ali and Idea battle that's a classic that I'll drop in our chat if you want to try and pull it up, Jason. I think there's some, maybe some, you know, questionable lyrical content at the time. Um, but, uh, you know, the, when Idea passed away and, you know, everybody came to Fifth Element, um, which, you know, are you familiar with Fifth Element? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, was a record store based in Minneapolis on the south side that was Rhyme Series' home base, basically, as a, a retail store, um, you know, and had open mics and gatherings and whatnot. And, yeah, when, when Idea passed away, everybody was there, <laughs> you know, trying to freestyle and put put things together. Um in in his memory and you know that i'm i'm still more distant you know as a fan and as mm-hmm. someone who was younger at the time but you know i've never heard anyone say a bad word about idea um yeah and yeah it's yeah i mean to me the the kind of vibe i always got which is like one of my favorite rappers probably ever that passed away a couple of years ago was sean price Okay. From like Duck Down Entertainment. You know, his thing was always your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. You right. know what I mean? And like, I remember when he passed away, you know, like they had like a, you know, a, a GoFundMe for his, um, his daughter and his widow. And, you know, you, you would go through and see people and then it's like, oh, you know, Jay Z dropped $10,000. You right. know what I mean? Eminem dropped $5,000. You know, right. Slug dropped a thousand. You know, so it was sort of like you'd go through and, and see like Talib Kweli. You know what I mean? It would right. be like, so he was never big. You know, not a lot of people don't know who Sean Price is, but like, for people that knew in the industry, it was like, you know, they yeah. knew who Sean was. I mean, I, I think, I think uh, your favorite rapper's favorite rapper is a, is a great way to look at it. I want to say there might even be a line <laughs> that idea had in ENA that kind of hinted at that. I guess the interesting thing is like, I want to say now, or at least now are big shots from earlier ENA records are on the Tony Hawk soundtrack, uh, uh, at least some of them, um, which I always found interesting because, you know, the, there's some... Tony Hawk mainstream acknowledgement that, hey, these songs are amazing and people were listening to them back in the day without without knowing that they were listening to ENA and <laughs> without yeah. knowing that they'll be listening to By the Throat, which is such a different thing so much later. Yeah, that was great. I mean, that's one of the great things about Tony Hawk is like those those music directors, like they pulled like deep punk cuts. You know what I mean? They were always like really well. Like, really well curated. Yeah, yeah, really well curated. And they, they and wouldn't just go for obvious stuff. And unfortunately, people remember one song from one game. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, those uh, are I've great got, soundtracks. I've got that uh, battle up if you want to listen to it, Justice. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, sure. This is Idea versus Brother Ali. So what? You're in my crew. Still, you beat the wackest. Yesterday, he was like, Idea, come on, let's practice. The one the microphone, you know what Ben is, kids. You're my friend, but the only way you beat me is if you pretend of your dick. You say back up to the line. You're whack. like different time but man (laughs) oh so good like i'm seeing the super hot gif in my my yeah. mind's eye right now that's a, um, oh, oh yeah no that was yeah. good that was good and like um, he does a bunch of other freestyle exploration uh on the face candy albums with like carnage and christoph crane and i'm forgetting some other people but like if you want to see him freestyling at shows just off the top 
there's i think two face candy records where yeah he's just freestyling um and i've never been a great freestyle i've always wanted to be but you know idea had most freestylers pick a phrase that they kind of go back to um when they're starting off a new musical idea is my understanding as a non-freestyler but when i grabbed the mic is something that he would say a lot and that was always something that i kind of went to and was like how can i practice with that how can i figure out what idea was doing because obviously dude knew what he was doing um to yeah no, that was excellent uh... degree that was good. Brother Ali kind of took one with that one. Um, <laughs> well, I want to say with uh, on the video that they go up and just uh, hug it out afterwards. But. Yeah, I mean, I think it was good-natured for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, um, always was, is my understanding. Um, let's get back to the album. I wanted to, because this is a reference you made earlier that kind of ties in. So let's listen to the song uh, Factory from like kind of the beginning through the end of the chorus. are almost blinding I know I should look away I'm honestly trying I act like I'm here it's really hard to care for there's a thin line between your wit and your whining I'm just a shadow when you're shining I look forward to putting it all behind me kneel before your ego it's funny how some people have a way of making the Milky Way look tiny Somewhere between the drama and the dry heat collapse on command using gravity to guide me you're so hip-hop you're so punk rock you're so 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 cliche Yeah, so, you know, earlier you'd mentioned um, Nirvana, and, like, that chorus he just did is so, so Nirvana. You know right. what I mean? Like, Kurt Kurt had a really, you know, people I don't really think of him as, like, a probably as much of a songwriter as he really was, but he had mm. a very distinct, like, kind of melodic things that he would do and phrasing things, and, like, that right. is, like, you know, the same to me, you know, that kind of, like, almost you got the kind of from thing. A kill. Yeah, like, the not a ton of diction, but just kind of going for the melodic quality and the, the, the aesthetic of it, I guess. Yeah, and that riff is very, it's just, it's, like, yeah, the super yeah. Nirvana, which really kind of jumped off that track for me. Right, and, like, <laughs> when the, between the verse and the chorus, or I don't even know how to typify it in this song, uh, but, you know, when the beat switches, it's so dramatic. The bass is so menacing. Um, and you really get back to that. Like, that's probably the m- closest to battle rap that I- Idea gets on this album. And it just hits so hard on both the lyrical level and the production level. Um, it, it, I like, if COVID weren't happening, I'd like go grab my roommates and start moshing right now. Like, <laughs> um, it, that song and listening to that right now made me want, made me miss moshing so bad. <laughs> Yeah, you know absolutely. who it reminds me of is uh, Death from Above 1979. I don't know if either of you listen to them, but very yeah. much like dance punk, very fuzz bass and drum oriented. And yeah, they were just like, a two-man band, same I think. Yeah, I think they might still be around, but yeah, they were just a two-person with some right. samples. But yeah, yeah I, I'm remiss to say that I didn't know Death from Above 1979 from their, well, not legal battle, but naming battle between the record label DFA um, <laughs> and uh, ah. DFA uh, 1979, because uh, DFA is what their um, LCD Sound System is probably their biggest artist. Well, that, um, he, that's his label. Right. I believe. Yeah. James yeah. Murphy, my favorite. 
Um, I had some some long thoughts about whether I should go with an LCD record for this too. Well, I'm I'm glad you went with this one because I <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with LCD, but I, this one was new to me, and um, right. it's been it's been really like this is a really good record. I, I, yeah. I've said it, but um, another one I wanted to check because it had another cool solo was um. Uh, junk from the yeah. beginning, maybe through like 136. I really like right. this, um, yeah, this song, and, and also junk is. Um, you know, I want to say it was the single from this album. Um, the video is still great. It's weird looking at any video that's from 2009 now because <laughs> all of them are a little fuzzier. Um, the funniest part about the video is that there's actually a MySpace link at the end with the the album plate. Um, it's just, it's yeah, just bizarre to me. I remember wow. booking so many shows. I booked so many shows on MySpace. Like that's all I used to do. <laughs> you remember how it would let you put a a song on your profile that played when people got there, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then everybody wanted to do that with their tumblers as well. I we was a Pixo guy back, back in the day. Um, oh, I feel like I was auto- what? <laughs> a Pixo. Are you guys familiar with Pixo? Nobody knows Pixo. <laughs> no, I don't know that. Um, Pixo is basically like MySpace with a little bit of a, a little bit more of a web design element where you could just pull on a bunch of different plugins and do it. And when I was a kid, we had some intense like middle school, like who can get the most hits, which, which Pixo site are you hanging out on? Um, and mine was just like (laughs) throwing in every flash game or clip that I could. So I got the, the dancing guide, the dancing through the eras. I got the South Park oh, character man. creator. Um, and your page some... took nine minutes to load. Yep. Yeah. Eventually, you just couldn't get to it. But uh, <laughs> like the impossible quiz, I think was also on there. Oh man, uh, you were really decked out. Yeah, it, you couldn't load the page, and you couldn't do anything on it once you did. But I thought in my head as a as a middle schooler that it was the coolest. That MySpace. Whatever, man. It's all about Pixo, but nobody remembers it, and I think the Wayback Machine doesn't even have it anymore, so I just have to talk <laughs> about it like it's a myth. <laughs> it's it been completely scrubbed. Yeah, You're like someone doing... needs to get a Know Your Meme page for it or something. Yeah. Come on, please. It's like freelance free, freelance public relations right now. <laughs> yeah, bring back Pixo. Uh, yeah. Squarespace, please, if you can, <laughs> just remake Pixo. I'm going to enjoy the portion of this uh, of promoting this episode where we ask the MinMax community, does anybody remember what the hell Pixo was? <laughs> no, dude. Pixo is going to be like our blue apron. Like, like, I mean, gonna, yeah. yeah. If we could get the Brought Pixo, to you by Pixo. Yep. And then also the, the Game Informer community blogs, RIP. Um, <laughs> yep. oh, there's man, some stuff yeah. on there, too. <laughs> there was some good stuff back there. In was the day on there was some stuff sure. on there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to... My, my rule for... Uh, brainstorming what i was going to blog about on game informer was usually i would play bad company 2 or not bad company 2 bad company 1 because um, wow. it was great for just playing messing around and ideating <laughs> um and then i just wrote up a lot of articles about how cool the psp was because the psp was cool and i'll defend it till the day i die yeah hell yeah it was good. Uh, it's it's uh, fun to think of this <laughs> this album released in the days of when my space was a thing <laughs> all right we gotta we gotta wrangle this in here. So yeah, what were we at doing? Some no, point. So. Junk, junk. We were gonna listen to junk. <laughs> In case 
of emergency Break glass and put us out It's the last time I let you parade rain through my clouds They say sell it and flow for all we care I watch the riding from a distance And then talk about it like I was there We don't share even the slightest hint of life We fight to fight when it went wrong and die Before we finally get it right Forgive me if I'm way more bored than I am brave Maybe it's you and not me Either way, walk away, I'm okay So it's the same with a discouraged face Made from strength and misplaced anger I accidentally embrace It's dysfunction, it's implied by its bloodthirst Wanna take it all apart just to rebuild it and make it worse You're going crazy, well I'm happy you're leaving You wanna sing yourself to sleep But you're too dead to realize that you're screaming Even if in God we bend and in trust we cheat I'm everyday people normal And I'm glad to be Help me up, fall in love We are America's favorite choice of drug It's all in your hands to kill us while we're young You don't need to push me, I'm ready to jump Break me down, wake me up We are America's favorite choice of drug It's all in your hands to kill us while we're young And don't fucking push me, I'm ready to jump That was, I love that solo. Was so good. Can we can we listen to the double time part just for a second? This part's yeah. so good. The universe is black and I'm a lighter shade of blind. Everyone's tugging and pulling in different directions. Why can't I see anything anymore? Anyway, medicine, method, old media coverage. Something that's broken my TV and keeps telling me I need to be worshipped and followed. Until this point, I don't know who I am. Paranoid, bury me somewhere with less perfect lighting. Please, I want to suck out all of your junk and kiss it back into the parts of your heart that you keep locked up when you awaken. I hope I'm the first person you call. I listen like a pistol. Oh, so good. Having everything's having nothing at all. I want you climb your way to the top, and I'll still be here when you fall. There's no fulfillment in a lazy nation that keeps feeding our infatuation with the idea of being famous. Help me up, fall in love. We are America's favorite choice of drug. It's all in your hands. Like lyrically, I feel like the the topic is pretty simple and well trod. But the execution and the way that idea presents it feels so fresh, even with like national disgrace, the atmosphere song and a lot of people talking about the stuff back in the day. Like there's just something about how he presents it and the images that he presents. Like I'll listen like a pistol. It'll be worse than talking to a wall. Always hits me when I listen to this track. Yeah, it's it was a I thought it was a highlight. Um, Are there any. uh I mean, these are some of the highlights I kind of wrote down. Are there any songs that we haven't covered that kind of particularly resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, um, Burn Fetish, Time Flies When You Have a Gun, and This Story are the ones that I kind of always go back to. Um, Time Flies When You Have a Gun, I think, is... I don't know what it is about it, but it just, in one minute and 45 seconds, it packs everything you need into a track. Um, do you mind if we listen to that, Jason? Yeah, let's do that. I mean, it's, we can basically listen to the whole thing. All right. to shoot it 
was in the air for kicks Promised he had perfect aim Swore that he couldn't miss Wore it underneath his belt Because by law that was his right Besides, you never know what type of danger's hiding in the night Never use it in a fight He'd take a punch instead And it made him feel at home He used to hunt with grandpa as a kid As time went on He started to think more and more about What he would do if he was home And someone kicked down his door Paranoia kept increasing He kept imagining a tragedy As if it was inevitable Trying to prepare himself for how he'd feel If he ever had to steal a life To save a loved one or his own That soulless piece of metal Was the boss in the relationship He bought it to keep him safe But it just made him sick And it wasn't until the day that he got rid of it That he felt like he was safe No longer a slave to that piece of shit You can own it but Most of it are on you here You can own it but Most of it are on you here I, mean, I feel like oh god no that's just that's i love it i love how brief that is and impactful right. it is that's great yeah i mean if you told me that that song was on a minor threat album like i'd probably believe you like it's it's so to the point like it's short like a lot of classic punk tracks were um but it gets it gets its message across perfectly clear like that's a song that i think to think about a lot especially in this current you know climate where it's just like yeah there's a lot of guns out there yeah, uh, idea talks about it very eloquently <laughs> as to why it's a, a hazardous thing sometimes. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I don't want this to sound backhanded because I don't mean it that way at all. But I, I kind of love that this album is like really short and to the yeah. point. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that like it's bad that I want it to be over, but it's just that I mean, especially post streaming. I mean, Jesus Christ, some of these albums are like. 80 minutes long right. i just cannot you know they're like 25 songs right it's just like, yeah i mean th- i can't listen to i can't listen to migos for like 80 minutes right. you know what i mean like? migos yeah i mean no label one and two there's some long there's some long tapes of theirs and there's like a few songs on there that are highlights but even like well, you know and i don't really listen to drake anymore but just looking at like scorpion and how long hip-hop albums have gotten like it's it's wild to think about like musically you have in a four minute song you have a set amount of loops that you basically use to go back to if you're writing rap and like have so many bars there's only so many like there's a million billion words here uh that you can use but like piecing them all together has so many different variables and you have to do it so well for three yeah. verses on a four minute song generally and like yeah, that's I'm, so hard no it is i mean and honestly i think what it is i think it's it's change i think streaming fundamentally changes things right. because now it's, it's monetized by like yeah listening minutes right? right so like when these guys want to do like total album sales which are now calculated off like spotify streams like that's why they put out these massive double right. albums because it's just like more people listening to more minutes you know what yeah. i mean so it's i don't i don't i don't even think it's like a like an artistic you know like we're gonna make the classic like we're gonna make a double album like wu-tang forever kind of thing right or you know or like Tupac. all eyes on me yeah. yeah you know this is just like we just need to you know, put 10 pounds of shit into a five pound bag. Yeah. You know and what I mean? like if, if you put hotline bling at the end of views, then people will probably listen until you get the hotline bling at least. Right. So yeah, that's a very, like, I hope that's not how people are thinking, but like, I don't know. I, I can't abs- listen to Drake I, anymore. 
I absolutely think it is. I absolutely yeah. believe that that's what that is what's happening. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I love this album because it is very like that song. I think, like you know, I grew up loving punk, and I mean, you can do a lot in a minute and a half. You know, yeah. you don't necessarily need to repeat everything. Um. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, like, I love this album. Do you, you want to listen to like any other song before we sure. switch gears here? Because I mean, we could. This is great. Um. Let's see here. Uh. Yeah, I remember. I remember, I think I was friends with Idea on Facebook at some point, and I sent him a message about, like, when I was, I don't know how old I was at the time, but I was like, this story, here, I have an idea for a video for this. <laughs> and I think, like, this story is a really good song, but just even thinking about that moment, like, I remember handing mixtapes out to people when I was at shows, um, and just, like, the accessibility that is innate to the hip-hop community in Minneapolis, I think, is something that is amazing that you don't get anymore even though you know you can go on instagram and talk to amine or whoever it's there was just like a difference to it at the time when you were still handing things out physically and shaking hands with people um and this story has always kind of typified that for me just because i thought oh you know i could go reach out to the artist and propose an idea that i had um or you know i remember at a show I think I got dropped off. I was a kid. I didn't have any money, so I couldn't buy any merch, but I still like talked to idea for a little bit and gave him a tape. And he was just like, thanks. I'll listen to this. I don't know if you ever did, <laughs> but the accessibility of the community and just this story has nothing to do with that, but just remembering the ability to go out to talk to your favorite artists and the people that you are inspire you like idea. Everybody is, was always so grounded and so uh, appreciative of that. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you want to lead in know. from the beginning of this story or yeah let's just listen to a little bit of the story from the beginning yeah this must be like another effects pedal he's got on the yeah this on, is turntables and uh his pitch pedal and probably a distortion pedal as well uh-huh you might have a wah on that was a single cell amoeba then i learned how to go to war over ideas now i'm in the strip and mother earth over resources waiting for the day that today's considered prehistoric standing on my last limb survived by a naked rush this story was written in my genetic code standing on my last Survived by a naked rush, this story was written in my genetic code. Standing on my last limb, survived by a naked rush, this story was written in my genetic code. Standing on my last limb, survived by a naked rush, this story was written. I don't want to, what if I have I'm trying to see if I can pull up my message, but I don't think I can find it. But, <laughs> like, I'm digging through the Facebook archives. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I remember, like, it was just kind of set in downtown Minneapolis, and uh, I think it started idea just walking through the motions of going through uh, a single day of being like, no, I'm going to work at my corporate job at the Idea Center or whatever, <laughs> and then get on the bus, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, middle school or high school ideas. But just the accessibility of the community has always been something that has been really amazing. Um, and one day, if I could dig up that message, I'll, I'll post it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's, that's, yeah. A, that's an awesome story. I mean, it, yeah, that, that's, that's awesome when, when you can meet people that you admire that are, you know, pretty down to earth yeah um so anyway i mean i think this we we covered it pretty well i think you know this i this has been a, a really good discovery on on 
as far as the show has gone so far for me, uh, you know, somebody that I knew, but I, I don't know. I just, this one kind of slipped by me and I was really, uh, you know, kind of surprised and impressed by how different it was and how well it worked. Um, so, you know, anyway, by the throat, this is a great album. Yeah. I think, uh, I just, I think they just reprinted it on vinyl too. I got my copy, but haven't been able to listen to it yet with, uh, COVID taking me away from my turntables. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, we can listen to it online and it, I encourage everyone to do so. It's, it's really been a good album. So, right. um, and now we're going <laughs> to switch, <laughs> switch way, switch gears, um, to the big elephant in the room. You, you got to tackle it someday. So it might as well be today. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the war horse of all classic rock war horses, dark side of the moon by some accessible lads from England called Pink Floyd. <laughs> you may have heard of them. They may have been at a, basketball or hockey arena near you <laughs> at one point um but yeah so this is kind of uh you know i guess if you if you talked about like the big classic rock albums of all time you know uh dark side of the moon is definitely on that list i believe i looked it up and it's it's been on the charts the billboard album charts con- consistently i think for like 700 or 800 weeks in a row basically it's never left the charts since that's, that's it's, ridiculous. Uh, that's so long. It's like you got to stop measuring that in weeks. You got to start just <laughs> yeah. saying it's, it's been that it's way been for like years. thirty years, right? Yeah. yeah, three decades. Yeah. I also read a stat that it was estimated that one in every three homes in England had a copy at one yeah. point of Dark Side. I mean, it, that's that's more people than have Bibles for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Something really weird happened to me yesterday in this apartment complex where, at some point. I like someone was playing some music. I was like, I know that album. What is that album? And then it turned out to be Dark Side of the Moon. I was like, they, I didn't play this out loud. Like, I was listening to it on my headphones. Are you also on this podcast? Like, I, I was very strange, but I think that speaks to uh, how much you my, my third guest, the uh, <laughs> one, of, one of Justice's neighbors. Please come on. Wow. So I'm curious, Justice. I mean, obviously, you're a big hip hop fan, you know, and this definitely was music that was, you know, long came and passed, you know, before you were even born. Um, do you, did you have any frame of reference for Pink Floyd yeah, at all? Or? I, I have, I haven't listened to a ton of Pink Floyd, but it's always been like, you, you can't go into a guitar center without hearing, um, what's the riff? I can't remember all the time. Oh, the money, not money. The other one, the, the softer one. Anyway, <laughs> you, you know, Pink Floyd is around everywhere. Um, but I have never been a huge Pink Floyd guy. Like. Um, and that's not to say that I haven't like listened to them. I just haven't like they, they were a little out of my periphery when I was really listening to a lot of music. Um, but you know, I remember digging through my parents' records and at some point getting to Dark Side of the Moon and putting it on my computer. But did I listen to it at that time? No. But I, I've listened to and like even played some parts of this album. Just haven't listened to it all the way together uh, in a long time. So. When you got into it, I guess what are you know what were some of your impressions or what what did you kind of take away from oh, it? Oh man, um, gapless playback is such a big deal. <laughs> like, yeah, for me as a, a music nerd, um, just every transition on this record um, is so expertly done, so well planned, well placed, and well engineered. Um, and let me let me pull up my notes here because like especially how they use vocals um, and the timing and structure of the album itself does so much to like keep you on your toes, especially, you know, like going from breathe into on the run, having this moment with 
no vocals and then when time comes in with all of the clocks going off and then you get this really huge sound like there's so much that they did on the engineering side of this album especially with panning too um, yeah that like it makes my musician side love it it makes my producer and engineer side love it even more maybe <laughs> yeah and so you know this is kind of i mean this is like the apex of the old school like it's the 70s rock bands are making like an insane amount of money right and they're going to like this is at abbey road you know what i mean and they'll yeah. block off abbey road for like six months there's a guy named alan parsons who, right. who um who engineered this and he had a he had a fairly successful alan parsons project band right. in the 70s as well but i mean like you can't really make records like this anymore no. because no one has the facilities no one gets that amount of time i mean right. and it's money like- to like Daft Punk, like Random Access Memories, it feels like they went as hard as they could for bringing back the production standards of that era. But yes. Outside of that, like, you, I doubt you can rent Abbey Road for <laughs> for six weeks just to hang out and ideate. Yeah, that's that's a thing, and they would show up. You know, like it's not like I mean they ha- they didn't not have material, but these bands would just rent out a studio and be like, okay, we'll just show up and start doing stuff. You know what right. I mean? Like. So, I mean, no no label could really fund that anymore no. with the, the current theme. So, I mean, that is one thing that I think jumps off the page is just, I mean, from a pure technical, like, making a record sound good, this might be, like, the most technically flawless record yeah. ever I'm, made. I'm bummed that I haven't been able to listen to it on my, my studio monitors, but even in headphones, like, there's so much detail and so much expertise placed into how this was recorded and how every sound, like the toms on this album are impeccable. <laughs> like that's maybe like the biggest detail for me is every time a fill happens, it just really catches your ear. Um, yeah. And oftentimes it goes from toms into these huge spacious um, vocal choruses and uh, like, yeah, like I said, it makes me so excited as a producer to listen to it now because it's so different than what people are doing and can do feasibly yeah. at this point. Well, I don't know. Should we kick it off? I mean, it, the record opens really strong, and I think it kind of, we might as well just kind of start from the beginning a little, mm-hmm. in a sense, I think. Yeah. It is playing. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> This song just sounds like smoking hookah. 
Yeah, I mean, the last time I listened to it a lot was when I was recording the drum part for uh, a friend at Berkeley. It, like, probably one in the morning at that point. And we were just measure by measure <laughs> trying to figure out uh, by ear the drum part. Not gonna lie, Justice, that sounds like hell. <laughs> it, it, was, it was tough. How do you guys want me to handle this album? Do you want me to like dial it back occasionally and let it run? Do you want me to pause in between? Or are you just going to interrupt? Let me know. I could go for anything. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's got a lot of space, you know? Yeah, I think there's enough instrumental time that we can probably talk over it for at least little bits and pieces. One thing that I noticed, I guess because I was probably listening more closely, is like, man, the lyrics on this album can be extremely bleak. Yeah. <laughs> At times, like, really, like, existentially bleak. Like, that verse in particular, and a lot of them, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, doing a little bit of research before the show, just listening to or reading how they were talking about, you know, Sid Barrett's relationship with this album and the departure from the band. Um, how much of it was just pertaining to similar to idea and abilities, like just a lot of mental health talk, um, and kind of, you know, very, very upfront about that too. It doesn't feel like it's buried in the lyricism and the production either. Um, especially as you get into the later songs on the album. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that is something I think that's sort of a context thing for Pink Floyd, really their entire career, this album even more so the album Wish You Were Here. Right. Um, so if, if you're not super familiar with Pink Floyd, they kind of had an early period that really is is much less known than than this period that you know people have probably heard on the radio. Um, they had, the original lineup, uh, David Gilmore was not in the band. It was a guy named Sid Barrett who was kind of their first leader. Um, they did a very kind of insane psychedelic album called Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Mm -hmm. um, and Sid basically, you know, was really the first major kind of acid casualty of the 60s. Um, and, you know, I I read uh, that he was taking acid up to six or seven or eight times per day. Um, wow. He eventually, they found him, you know, he would, he would, they would find him in his apartment just like hiding in, inside the cupboards. Um, I think one time they came there, he had literally, I mean, literally painted himself in a corner he was like painting his floor black 
and he just like painted himself in a corner. He was just sort of in a fetal position in a corner. Um, I think he did a couple TV appearances where he's, he's basically sort of catatonic and, and also not necessarily playing the same song as the band was. Right. Um, but anyway, what happened was Sid eventually left the band. Um, he did a couple solo albums that, that Roger Waters and David Gilmore sort of helped him create, uh, Opal and Barrett. Um, but he basically was then for the rest of his life was a complete shut in. He, um, was re- I don't think ever seen in public again, never gave an interview again, probably after like 1970. Um, so he's sort of this weird, I don't know, almost spectral figure for Pink Floyd because I think a lot of their, I, I've read some and they, they, they did feel a certain amount of guilt of kind of like kicking him out of the band because he just wasn't really functional anymore and they didn't really think he could handle like the rigors of like being in a rock band um, because his mental state was so fragile. Right. Um, Do you think that, so, that sort of looms over Dark Side too? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, like, especially the song, what which um, Justice just talked about, you know, and I guess we could even play it right now, but the song "Brain Damage." Yep, that's what um, I'm looking at right now. Yeah, and you know, there's a there's a line in there if if the if the band you're in starts playing different tunes, right? And I think that's a, a reference to Sid, like, at live shows would be playing different songs when they were playing like a different song, you know, because he was just sort of like becoming whatever mental break he was having as a result of the acid was kind of getting more pronounced towards the end. Right. Um, but so I think, I think brain damage is definitely, you know, kind of haunted by, by Sid. Um, anyway, why don't we, we should play brain damages. I mean, it's a, it's a great song. On the grass, the lunatic is on the grass, remembering games and daisy chains and laughs. Got to keep the loonies on the path. The lunatic. Is in the hall The lunatics are in my hall The paper holds their folded faces to the floor And every day the paper boy brings more love when they say the album name on the yeah. record. <laughs> and I guess I had read that that was an old kind of British slang. Dark Side of the Moon was sort of a, a British slang for like he'd kind of gone mm-hmm. mad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting looking at the lyrics for the song because I think, you know, obviously everything is always up to interpretation, but if you wanted to interpret this as literally talking about um, their relationship with Sid, I, I feel like you could. Um, I'm obviously less familiar with Pink Floyd than you are, Matt. Yeah, um, but 
it's um you know it's all it's all interesting because when we both exchanged our albums i wasn't sure how these things would play but just with the topics and the subject matter that they have um and kind of the realities that the musicians face too there's so many similarities yeah that yeah i get you know things are maybe more similar than you they would appear on the surface right yeah, um, you, and you, you don't think of like hip hop in the same way that you think of Pink Floyd, but you also listen to like time and money and it's, it's samples, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, real quick, I just want to relate in case people haven't heard it. Cause this is like a very insane kind of story about Sid Barrett. The next album, Wish You Were Here. Um, I mean, that's explicitly about Sid. Um, mm-hmm. and like the song Shine on You Crazy Diamond is about Sid. Um, so they're in the studio. They have not seen Sid for. I don't know, probably six years at this point, seven years. Um, and Sid, you know, in, in those days was, you know, he kind of dressed in that sort of like Austin Powers kind of way with like, you know, big curly mop of hair and sort of thing, you know, very like hippie kind of heartthrob sort of dude. Um, anyway, they're in the studio and all of a sudden there's this weird kind of very like portly guy with like a shaved head and shaved eyebrows that had wandered in the studio at Abbey Road and like a Nick Mason, the drummer's like looks over and he's like, that's Sid. He happened to wander in after seven years to Abbey Road Studios the day that they were recording Shine On You Crazy Diamond, the song about him. Ugh. Like completely at random. Wow. And, he, he, and there's a picture of him they took that day. So he's, he's gained probably like 60 pounds. He shaved his head. He shaved his eyebrows. He looks like a basically like a mental patient. And he doesn't, he doesn't say too much. They ask him a few things. He kind of mumbles some answers and they, they play him the song and then he just listens to it and then he kind of like wanders off again and they literally never saw him again. Wow. So it's just like a really eerie kind of story about him. Yeah. What, I mean, what, yeah. What did he sort of brought to the band's earlier music? Was it that like off the wall experimental sound? Uh, yeah. That- it's a lot different. I mean, it's a lot, it's, it's way more psychedelic and in, in late sixties kind of feeling. I mean, he's a great songwriter too. I mean, I, like the Piper at the gates of dawn is a great album. I mean, it's just, it, but it's, it's, it doesn't feel like the same band in a lot of ways, you know, it was cause he was definitely the leader and the songwriter. So, you know, when he left, I think Roger Waters kind of took over, um, as sort of the musical, you know, director, so to speak. So it's, it's, it's quite different, but it, it's, it's definitely worth listening to for sure. Um, but you know, you actually let's, uh, back to your point talking about sampling. Um, let, let's, let's play money. Cause this is probably the biggest, you know, kind of, it was one of the big FM rock, like right. KQRS kind of yeah. classic rock songs of Pink Floyd's career. And, you know, this is definitely a, probably the most conventionally kind of like a, a 70s rock song on the album. Right. Also, Jason, I know you're a time sig guy. This is like 5-8, I think. Try to count it. Matt, I'll give you a, I'll give you a pass on that. It's a 7-4. Uh, oh, Okay. Four, I knew it was, five, it's not four six, four. Yeah, seven, I remember one, two, three. Always wanted yeah. to try and learn how to play the song and then just be like, wait, what time signature is it? <laughs> no, I, I love I'm not going to do that. This is the song that introduced the world to 7 4, and I love it. But unfortunately, it's like nobody touches 7 4 anymore. I'm not going to go on that. I'm not going to get on my pulpit about that. <laughs>
it's always said something to me that Pink Floyd's, like you just said, it's the most conventionally like rock song on the album, uh, and one of their more like conventional songs in general. And they even then they couldn't just do like a four-four on the full <laughs> beat, <laughs> right? Such a great riff, like yeah. just an awesome riff. Um, yeah, yeah. I really want to know exactly how they treated the vocals because there's something to the reverb that they're using that just feels like it's like a slapback, but it's not. It's still close, but it's definitely reverberate, and ugh, I don't know how to describe it. Oh, so you're a, you're a real producer. You're using terms like slapback. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I try. Don't ask me any music theory questions, though. <laughs> you don't need them. <laughs> What's that thing? Pre-delay? Could that be pre-delay? I, don't, I, I mess with that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think pre-delay would be part of it. But, you know, like, I, I wonder, because obviously Abbey Road has access to so many different times of reverb. Like, did they pipe it back into one of their, uh, what are they called? One of the rooms for it? Probably not, because yeah. it's so close. Abbey Road um, was famous because they had chambers. Like, right, so they exactly. had, like, the, the big plate reverb chambers and stuff right. like that that, like, all these plugins and pedals and stuff that we have try to like emulate, but yeah. there's like reverberation in a physical space, you know, so that probably had something to do with it. Yeah. I'm, I see here guys. It's, it was called the Fender weirdifier. I'm glad we have that. Weirdifier? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad wow. we have that answer. We don't need to follow any, any more questions about wow. that. Um, I really like in looking at this album, <laughs> I really love all of the obscure synthesizers or just hardware that people were getting their hands on at the time like i'm going through a little bit of a synth phase right now where i'm getting analog hardware and it's just always such a curious moment of like ooh, how did they do that what did they use like um oh for childish gambino's red bone i remember finding some weird fuzz pedal that they were using for for tracking that album and it's always just like wait this is amazing. And then you can never find it. And it's all $5,000. Yeah, totally. Actually, I want to shout out to Rick Wright, Pink Floyd's keyboard player. I don't think it gets a lot of attention because he doesn't really, I really like him as a keyboard player and a, and a synth player because he doesn't really, a lot of seventies guys would do a lot of like kind of hot shot stuff. You know right. what I mean? And like really sort of solo, but he's very like restrained, almost like in a, like, you know, looking forward to like ambient and like, I think electronic music where he's, he's, he doesn't play a lot of notes. He just kind of adds a lot of cool textures yeah. and a lot of cool synth noises without really like necessarily calling attention to the the keyboards. But I think they're always sort of the synths and keyboards are always like kind of in the background of everything in a very cool way. The, I mean, the syncopation, I think, is what brings it to the four a whole lot, where it's just the like when you're working in that four, four time or not four, four, seven, four timeline and bump, 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 like there's just enough flavor there. But without drawing too much attention to itself, it's always there to add some kind of accent, but it never takes away or is too much. Yeah. No, I, I, they're, this album just, it's, it's a very good use of space. Yeah. Um, I think Pink Floyd, their defining thing to me is like, they have a lot of space in their music and I don't think any member of the band feels the need to like overstep to try to sort of, you know, cause the seventies was definitely like, you know, kind of show offy, like people, mm. you know, long guitar solos and stuff like that, you know, and I think everyone's very restrained in Pink Floyd and it, it adds to that kind of like almost cinematic, I guess, maybe be a good term for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like this album, you know, it's, it's a fantastic album in terms of listening to it all the way through. But like I was saying before, like the structure and how they introduce new musical ideas is so it always catches you. It's never jarring, but it's always powerful. Like going between, uh, let's see here. 
Um, like with all their transitions, especially like on the run into time, like let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. And the clocks. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so much silence, but then the vocals come in and hit you and surprise you in just really powerful ways because they're not overusing them kind of in like stark contrast to hip hop because that's, that's the feature usually. Um, but I think both albums kind of have their, they do a good job using space. Um, to give the vocals more weight when they need them. Yeah, let's do let's do on the run into time because I, I agree that's a tremendous segue. I think I had it at two forty five was my uh, timestamp. Yeah, I love all that like move like analog synth right. stuff. Yeah, I think this when I was looking at it, this is some kind of EMS briefcase synthesizer. Wild. And I'm slowly drifting to sleep, and, uh... <laughs> What's that? Hello? Oh, I hope nothing disturbs my beautiful, restless ah! number. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my apartment complex in the morning. Egg! Some good toms coming up here. Oh, always, always on this album. Fantastic toms. I, love I also the, feel like this is like every '80s, like kind of John Carpenter horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> I was just about to say, I love the doom that's instilled in a song called "Time" by having the first like rung note as just a. Just a synthy flat, wow. fat sound. Yeah, especially at the time too, because I feel like there's always been a lot of tension between to use or to not use synthesizers, and to just be able to go in with these very ominous long drones. It's cool, bravery, surprising. Yeah. Are they layering in more instruments as they go? I hear like congas or gombes or whatever those are. Yeah, like each part is kind of introduced slowly, especially. I don't know if they use a slide guitar on this one, but they were just using another guitar.
I just want to keep listening to it. I was, I was just about to interrupt and ask where you wanted to go next, but <laughs> kind of want to kind of want to steep in this. Yeah, so I mean time I mean, to me, this song is just an absolute, like, masterpiece yeah. song. I mean, it just, like, what we just heard, I love David Gilmore, Gilly. I call him Gilly. We have a good vibe, personally. <laughs> um, but uh, he's just such a lyrical player. And again, like, kind of tying back to that restraint. I mean, he doesn't play fast. He doesn't necessarily play complicated stuff. But I think he just has an unbelievable sense of melody mm-hmm. over, like, very simple chord changes and just, I mean, it's just very lyrical. It's almost like it, it feels very composed as a solo, not just like kind of extemporaneous kind of right. jamming. Um, and, I don't know. Like oddly enough too, I feel like abilities have some of those qualities on some of his solos. And you know, it's a, it's a very different instrument pitch, bent turntables and guitars, but yeah. I feel like there, there's a similar aim for simplistic, but powerful melody over just strumming. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, what else? There's a couple of things. I lo- Pink Floyd does this a lot, like comfortably numb. Another song up like the wall that they do is like they have a good contrast with like wa- Roger Waters has a much more kind of aggressive vocal style, mm-hmm. and then they contrast that with Gilmore singing like the the, the softer part, which I think mm-hmm. they they put that. You know, not a lot of bands have. I mean, I guess the Beatles did. You know, some bands do, but um, they have two very strong, distinctive kind of vocalists. I think which helps. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think to you know the earlier point about spaciousness too this this song knows how to hit you and lock you into a groove and then open it up with those vocals that chorus um that you know i think really effectively ties in with the 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 subject matter and the the lyrics as well like in the second verse shorter breath and one day closer to death into this more um legato every year is getting shorter never seem to find the time like it's very it's two two competing ideas that are really well transitioned into one another. Yeah. You mentioned the lyrics and I think, oh man, I don't know if it's just, you know, the kind of existence we're living now yeah. with COVID <laughs> and, and, you know, just getting older and stuff, but man, the, these lyrics were yeah. like fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. You know, it's just like Twitter and I don't know. I mean, 
it got me kind of down a bad path. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to, you know, just because I feel like, you know, everyone kind of feels like, I don't know, it just feels like we're in this holding pattern. Hanging on in quiet desperation as the English way is something that I identified with strongly. Not to say that, you know, with the state of the world, a lot of people are not being quiet right now, obviously. But, you know, yeah. in those in those quiet moments <laughs> when you're at home stuck in the, the COVID reality, hanging on in quiet desperation, just trying to play Death Stranding and chill out while the world is <laughs> doing whatever <laughs> well, yeah. it's doing. I mean, um, everyone it's, just it's, feels like we're just marking time at this yeah. point, you know, yeah. and waiting for waiting for life to start again, I mean, I guess. A, a constant joke in my apartment is, you know, what day is it? Doesn't matter. <laughs> No, it's true. You either got to yeah. work online or you don't. You know, I've, yeah, I've but, never um, felt more British than when I'm hating myself and alone <laughs> and pale yeah. and weakening. Um, yeah, well, we'll have to get you some fish and chips as well. Yeah, um, and I'll, I'll get you some something Boris Johnson related. I'll send it over. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, <laughs> no, it'll it'll be a toupee or some 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 kind of hair yeah. related. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get that Boris Johnson wig. He'll be good. Ooh. Um, uh, but I wanted to touch on this. Kind of brings it up. Because I guess I've always just sort of accepted, like, if you live by a mountain, you don't really notice the mountains, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so I've always just sort of associated, like, well, yeah, like, you know, Dark Side of the Moon's like one of the big classic rock albums. But it's kind of an odd, it's an odd record to be as huge as it is, you know, because, mm-hmm. like, you can kind of, if you listen to, like, a Beatles record, you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, that's super catchy pop songwriting, mm-hmm. very infectious, or, like, bands like the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin are very kind of, like, you know, rocking and have kind of like right. a party element to it, or like a band like Queen is very like you know, kind of bombastic and yeah. super. I mean, I, I feel like you could also make the point that like a lot of those bands were a little bit more singles driven. Not to say that their albums aren't you know cohesive things, but like I think of Immigrant Song, I don't necessarily think of the album oh. it's on. Yeah, that's what. That's, that's a good point. That's a great one. I, I, I guess like so much of this album for me is. uh like listening back, I listened to it first in like middle school, high school, and you know, right. certain parts of it did stick with me, certain parts of it didn't. But listening back to it, it's like this is held as a really like a almost a psych rock, or at least in my experience, held up as like a psych rock classic. Like it's it's got the weird elements, it's got the music concrete elements, it's got yeah. very seventies rock elements. Uh, but ultimately, like it comes down to just being very, very, very well made. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not incredibly off the wall. It is not always radio friendly like matt's saying it's not you know a queen it's not something that's immediately catchy every track um but just like how cohesive it is without being uh i I guess without talking down without being very like super duper plain spoken it does still take risks it still takes chances and i think that's that to me is what you're saying matt is like it's weird to hear that to know that this album is so popular especially when more when you listen to it because you're like this this took me 40 minutes to get through and I can remember like a select few hooks, right? Right. That mm-hmm. doesn't spell for radio friendliness to me. No. And it, but, and just thematically, I mean, it, it's overwhelmingly a very melancholy record. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The themes of like the loss of time, death, money, capitalism, you know, <laughs> you know greed, mental health. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not, I just think if like, if you were moved in like all our knowledge of Pink Floyd and how it did, like, if you would have told me if I heard this, like whenever, you know, when it came out in the seventies, well, like this is going to be one of the most popular albums and biggest selling albums of all time. I don't think I would have said, Oh yeah, totally. Right. Like, yeah. This is going to be like, a, this will be on the charts, you know, like Forever. 50 years later. You know <laughs> what I mean? It just, Cause it's, it's, I don't know. Maybe that's what speaks to people about it too, is the sort of like, I mean, it, 
is kind of a sad record in a yeah. lot of ways. You know, really. I mean, the thing that stands out to me is that it never feels pretentious. It feels very easy to identify with, like kind of what we were just talking about. Like it's still holding up, you know, individual lines are relatable. It's not just, we're going to talk about capitalism and how much we hate it. And that's going to be the discussion. It's kind of living with those realities in the lyrics versus just being like, yeah, we need to go change stuff. Oh, things are messed up. We can't do that. Uh, it's just kind of sitting with the reality of existence in a way that, you know, very easily with the subject matter, you could just get preachy with it. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, they just sort of, they turn it into like a character song. Um, one, one song that, and this is maybe the song, if there's only, there's one moment in the record for me that maybe sometimes gets a little over the top. Um, it's this song, but I also, the beginning might be like my favorite part of almost the whole record, which is a great gig in the sky. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes the vocals get a little bit much for me on this song, but I mean, I <laughs> well, like it overall. Yeah. And like the entrance of the piano, like it's, it's very distinctive, um, compared to the sounds that they use on the rest of the record. But, the, but the beginning with like the old man talking yeah. is like, that's, that's really, uh, an amazing bit of music. This does go on a bit. Sorry, my mic was off, but that was great a comedic timing amid the soulful <laughs> whale. So this this does go on a bit. It's, yeah, I mean, oh, it's it, so good. It, it is. That, yeah. It's, uh, we should point out that's vocalist uh, Claire Torrey, um, British singer, best known for this track itself. 
I don't know. I just oh. wanted to credit her properly. Yeah, I kind of feel yeah. like the first, I mean, I'm maybe getting too into this thing, but I feel like the first album is kind of like, or the first side, because this is, I think, the last song, the first side. I think it's almost like a life cycle. You know what I mean? Like, like birth through death almost. Right. Well, I don't know. I'm getting, I mean, I I'm, feel I'm like, I'm sounding yeah. like a stoner now. <laughs> if we wanted to go deep in there, you know, it's, it's kind of introducing the themes on the first side of the record, and then you get kind of deeper into the personal side of the, like us and them any color you like brain damage i feel like it's a lot more personal in some ways yeah we should uh, us and them is i guess that's probably the other big one we haven't really covered we should listen to that because that, that's another song that you know definitely is gets play on the radio from time to time right and it's yeah, uh, yeah i mean I, I the other thing that just struck me you know talking about abbey road and having time to do whatever you want in a studio like that they tuned those toms and those toms sound fantastic <laughs> Yeah, I never think about tuning toms when I'm lazily trying to do drum drum tracking, but they have the time to do it and make it sound perfect. Yeah, and they didn't even tune it. It was probably some guy from Abbey Road that's tuned drums for like Uh, 30 years. And tuning drums. Yeah, tuning drums. I don't want to do it. Don't make me. All right, we're going to pick up uh, Us and Them just before a part that Justice said uh, you really liked in this song. So here we go. Okay. Since you pointed it out, Matt, the uh, the place of the keyboard, the piano in this song, is getting is becoming way more important to me. Like I'm realizing how much it's filling out the the mid range here. And I'm terrible with, you know, like intervals and harmonies, but I feel like they have a very distinctive, like harmony vocal style mm-hmm. on this record or the group vocals are very like close harmony or something. Yeah. And I think that the way that they mix it to like for it, uh, this album always comes back to space with me. Like I can hear this, the, it goes from being in a small room to feeling like it's in a cathedral really quickly. Um, and they use that very, like not, they don't overuse that. 
a saxophonist named dick perry who i think on this song particularly really shines there's mm. some beautiful sax playing on here Yeah, it's a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. I don't. I uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's any other stuff we want to touch on. I mean, I did. I was thinking that we should do Eclipse last, just because that seems like it's sort of this, you know, existential thing at the end mm-hmm. of the album. That's pretty cool. But I mean, I don't know. There's definitely some other stuff that we haven't touched on. I yeah. don't know anything else. I mean, I'm just looking at the lyrics for that last verse now, and it's just so, once again, so timely. Still, <laughs> um, like down, 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 and out. It can't be helped. It can't be helped, but there's a lot of it about with, without. Who will deny? It's what the fighting is all about. Out of the way, it's a busy day. I got things on my mind. For one of the price of tea and a slice, the old man died. Like there, there's God, just Jesus, right? Like there's so many parallels <laughs> that it just feels like getting older and having to or needing to or wanting to turn a blind eye to the events of the world is uh very well communicated um and i think you know that saxophone solo is kind of mournful in a way before into going into this next verse and it it hits it's rough but it's so powerful and the crazy thing to me that i think these guys were only like 26 or something you know what i mean they're not like it feels like a, a a a very adult album in certain ways but they really weren't very old at this point, you know, yeah. they were like young men in their, their early to mid twenties. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting too. Like when we were thinking, when we were listening to, um, great kick in the sky, have you guys listened to, um, flying Lotus's uh, you're dead at all. I've listened to it a little bit, but okay. I'm not expert on it. Yeah. That's just one, you know, and thinking of death and, you know, to, you, I was wondering when one of us was going to bring up music concrete or concrete. Like there's so many, I think influences from this album to hip hop, or at least there's a dialogue that happens here too, between the samples, between, um, you know, even, uh, like Daft Punk's Giorgio by Moroder piece on, um, random access mm-hmm. memories. Like there's so much here that people have built upon and been inspired by. Um, and I think, you know, that's a big part of why this record has so much staying power, um, without, you know, without being overbearing about it or without that being the intention. And I think that's like what you're saying about how old they were when they recorded this. You know, I wonder, I wonder if that's kind of like the perfect area (laughs) of age to be like, okay, I'm going into my thirties. What am I doing without being cantankerous about it? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I I really like, I mean, we touched on a little bit, but I, I love, apparently they interviewed a bunch of friends and even people that, uh, just worked at the studio to get all those snatches of kind of dialogue and things 
Um, I guess the uh, the last one on which maybe after this we'll play Eclipse, but there's a uh, the line on that the, the there is no dark side of the moon really, which I believe was like the doorman mm-hmm. at Abbey Road Studios that they just they pulled in the studio and interviewed him. Um, right. But I think those those little snippets of dialogue that they kind of overlay on each other are really right. Add elements yeah. to the album, and I think uh, you know in, in my head um, if we went to go back to ID and abilities like smile from that record i think shares a lot of thematic con like thematic content with this song and with eclipse too um especially in in the the current time it's a little bit more of an uplifting track even though it recognizes the the hardships and realities that people are facing yeah no that's that's a that's a good point well so let's let's i feel like eclipse it's the last song in the record it feels like a good place to end it and i think it's a pretty obvious short but powerful song great ending to a yeah. great record i mean it's it's really tough to end a record as someone who's trying to still figure it out however many years into into writing mine um and it's interesting because i feel like this song isn't one that i would listen to out of context but in context it, it, it's it's everything that the ending needs it's everything that the album kind of is in summation but you know i don't know if i would listen to this on its own and i think that, no, that makes a lot of sense though that's the way to do it yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It reminds me a little bit, actually, the end of Abbey Road by the Beatles mm-hmm. is kind of a similar thing, which I don't know if that that holds on its own. But I mean, at this point, you're, it's, I mean, this is definitely a a vinyl record kind of yeah. album. You know yeah. what I mean? Like with the seamless interludes between songs. Gapless. You know, before there was like we love tracks. Um, yeah. So I mean, it, it's it was definitely a product of a time. I think when the the full length album was kind of viewed as a kind of an art unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, this was a really good conversation. I think it's kind of interesting. I think you drew you drew some really interesting parallels between two albums that, on the surface, don't feel very similar. But you know, when you maybe if you dig deeper, you look b- b- beneath the surface. Maybe they are more similar than they would appear. You, you look around the dark side of the moon, and then you find uh, find everybody hanging out. <laughs> exactly. I was, was going to say, Justice, it's almost <laughs> like you like you knew the point of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's like good. spin spin the the commonalities between two disparate albums. I mean, uh, no, I, it, 
I, you know, that's, that's a really fun thing to do. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks for uh, being so good at it. Uh, yeah. I, I try my best. I love talking about music and I'm super grateful that you guys have had me on. So yeah, no, this is super fun. And we'll, we'll, we'll squeeze a little bit more from you if you got a little bit of time. To yeah, talk, no, I'm, uh, I'm, some... I'm on for as long as you guys need me. Great. I uh, love to hear it. I've got some community questions. You go if I launch in Matt. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Uh, so Zane Dukes <clears throat> has a short story, um, leading to a question. I uh, recently started listening to Stevie wonder after a lifetime of thinking that he only sang silly love songs. Uh, and he said to his wife, can't believe Stevie wonder is so awesome. And then looked at him, uh, like he'd said the dumbest thing in the world, which I agree. You, you kind of did Zane. Um, <laughs> But uh, he wants to know if you've ever had that experience with, uh, you know, one of those legendary tentpole artists where you sort of pigeonhole them before you um, really dug into what they are about and found and were just surprised by it. Uh, Matt, do you want to take? Sure. Take the yeah, I can take. I got one too. <laughs> I uh, I guess kind of growing up, you know, in like the '80s and stuff. Uh, Phil Collins and Genesis. Okay. You know, it was kind of a certain era of them. And, I, you know, I, maybe I perceived them as kind of cheesy. And then I kind of d- I dug into, like, the earlier part of Genesis when Peter Gabriel was the lead singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're an amazing band. Phil Collins actually is, like, a world-class drummer. I mean, mm-hmm. he is, like, on the old Genesis stuff, he's, like, I think on par with, like, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin and, and people like that. Um, and actually, you know, I kind of grew to appreciate his solo stuff, too. But, um, like... The, the the kind of pre kind of pop Genesis stuff, even when he was the lead singer, the early albums like Abacab, um, and, and some of those I I really grown to and Duke. Um yeah, so I really got like old Genesis is cool. You should check out like Lamb Lies Down on Broadway or like Foxtrot. Like those are those are really weird records. For sure. Did you talk about what you thought of him before then? Did you just like think of him as the Well, as the he Tarzan was just kinda guy? like you know, <laughs> like a, just kind of an eighties like pop. You know what I mean? Just like corny pop maybe that was on the radio and sure. MTV and stuff. Sure, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel like for me, I remember like a dead space three trailer that had a really good cover of in the air tonight that I looked for, for a long time. <laughs> uh, that was nowhere else besides that trailer. Um, yeah. but yeah, I- I'm going to have to go listen to some more Genesis. I- I've never had too much beef with Phil Collins, another person with excellent toms. Um, but yeah, I haven't dug too much into Genesis. Yeah, no, the- check them out. They're, 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 they're de- definitely way different thing than you think they're going to be right um for me i'm scared to share this opinion publicly um kanye west is someone who i've uh had a mixed relationship with obviously now there's a lot of other stuff but um yeezus was an album i listened to because i hated it as a contrarian for a long time um and then eventually like i want to say it was like a seth rogan james franco video making fun of the bound to music video and then I watched Van Two and I was like, wait, what are you doing, Kanye? And then I just listened to it enough out of contrarian disdain. And then eventually I was like, this might be my favorite record. <laughs> um, and there's like only four really fantastic songs on it, I think. And there's some infuriating things that Kanye does. But in terms of like unifying his lyricism and the production, um, it, it has that edge and that aggroness. Um, that really suits some of Kanye's lyricism. Cause I don't think Kanye's a great lyricist anymore, but I think that Yeezus and the combination hides it. Um, but I will say, you know, like 808s and Yeezus are probably my favorite Kanye albums. I'm not a, as huge a fan of my beautiful dark twisted fantasy as the internet will probably want me to be, you know? <laughs> 
That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jesus was my first Kanye album. Uh, I wasn't really exposed to it as, as in, in my youth. Um, so that's like an inverse of, of my general understanding of Kanye though, right? Is most people hail uh, Twisted Fantasy as like his classic. His yeah. Ab- yeah. Yeah. It, it is the thing that everybody points to is like, that is, that is it. And I think it's, an, it's kind of similar to some Daft Punk records to me in that they, he will produce an amazing sounding loop and that loop will ride out for as long as it needs to because it just sounds fantastic. But it leads to me feeling like a little bit disinterested because it doesn't feel like it's perfect for what it is, but it doesn't necessarily go and punch in different ways like Jesus does or like uh, by the throat does even. Um, but yeah, I'm a I'm a weird Kanye fan in that can't really listen to old Kanye in the same way now. Haven't listened to new Kanye in the same way now. Like I listened to Life of Pablo when it came out, and I was like, "Wait, what are you doing?" Yeah. Um, but I kind of liked him more when he was before he was a genius, and he was just like a good rap producer. Yeah, for like, for like Jay Z and like Beanie Siegel and people like that. Like right. I, I really thought he was a great producer. I he started to kind of lose me. I think like I basically kind of started to get off the train with like Dark Twisted Fantasy, and yeah. a lot of people got on the train then. Um, but there's some, I mean, you know, 808s is a very influential record. Yeah, especially 808s and Jesus for me, I think, are, are the big ones. And, you know, it's always weird going back to My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy 2 because, like, Nicki Minaj has the best verse on that album by far. And that's hard because yes. that's one of the best rap verses in the last decade, maybe. Like, she just comes on and absolutely mm-hmm. murders the track. But I have a hard time. If a feature has the best uh, verses on your album, like you got to you got to step your game up a little bit. At least. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I just Kanye's lyricism, whether he's writing it or not, I, I found a lot more questionable. <laughs> and Jesus hides that because it's just this kind of like gross aggro album that where if he says like something about bleached assholes, it makes sense, and then he says it on Father Stretch My Hands, and I'm like, that doesn't. Why did you open up a song with that line? Like, what are you doing? This doesn't. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he makes some questionable decisions i think yeah. he's got a lot going on. he's got a lot going on he's got a lot going on for sure um all right jason yeah i'll i'll segue into the next question with a please vote this november um <laughs> uh maxi maxi flores says hey mintrax uh well hey maxi uh what is your favorite me- music excuse me musical instrument slash sound in a song uh for me i'm a sucker with anything uh with a piano slash keys, a melody, or a dope drum beat. Even if I don't know the artist, I'll usually listen to the whole track just because my ear catches that one part, that melody or beat, and I want to see where it goes. So um, is there anything that gets pulled in, any highlights of a song, any like specific? You're, you're a producer, uh, Justice. You, you must be yeah. able to you get your ear attuned to certain sounds. What 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 really hooks you? Um, it's a good 808. Um, like a really good low end, maybe melodic bass line, maybe not. Um, here I'll send you a link to uh, it's Blow by Tory Lanes. Like when the 808 comes on on that song, it's just like it's monstrous. And if you have a subwoofer and your house starts shaking, and it's just it so drives home like the vibe of that song. And a good 808 can serve as the main. It can be uh like baseline. It could just be a simple baseline, a simple kick, or it can be the melody of your song, but with such a like elevated presence i i don't know like i probably should describe it a little bit more for non-music listeners but just like uh it's basically a drum sample that people through the ages have turned into um you know from the roland 808 drum machine into bass 
uh, elements. And there's usually, if you hear this like very low rumbly sound, yeah. um, often with uh, a lot of pitch bending or uh, portamento just sliding up and down between the notes. Um, a good 808, oh, it's so good. And that exists in hip hop, but also like the remix that James Murphy did of Love is Lost by David Bowie also has a really fantastic 808. Um, or at least something that sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the iconic drum machine in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, I have, okay, I have three, and they're mostly like little sounds. Um, one, actually, throwing it back to Kanye, early Kanye. I love, like, they used to call them like chipmunk soul samples. Mm-hmm. And this is like very like early 2000s, like songs like uh, Through the Wire by Kanye, um, What We Do by Jay-Z. Um, where it would sort of be this like repeated like soul vocal sample, but pitched way up on the sampler. Uh, it's sort of hard. To, I'm not explaining it very well, but like uh, it was just like this. I don't know. It was just a thing they used to do. Like they used to speed this up to like kind of chipmunk levels, and then use it as sort of repeating like almost rhythmic element. Um, to, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you I know, know what I'm what talking, you're about? talking about? Yeah, like like even though what we do is wrong. Uh, like wrong. yeah, wrong. and uh, on poetic justice, the Kendrick song, um, it's a uh, Janet Jackson sample, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Like usually a female vocal, like yeah. soul sample or yeah, R and B sample. It's super fun to cut those up too. I'm not a huge, I'm not great at sampling, but when you find the groove with the sample that you cut off, it can, it can feel super magical and add a lot of like bounce and weirdly like credibility to your song. Like some samples just do that. Um, and then they get you suit, but sometimes it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. You got to go for it. Yeah. Um, number two, this is more of a sixties thing, seventies thing, but, uh, reverse tape, like guitar solos mm. where they used to cut it one way and then flip the tape over. You can hear it like in, uh, the Beatles, like I'm only sleeping castles made of sand by Hendrix. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that kind of kind of, again, I'm not doing a very good job of beatboxing this, but um, (laughs) reverse guitar is awesome. And then I don't even really know what this is, but on like dub reggae records, they do this delay thing where it's like, you know, kind of, and then it'll be like, or like a horn hit or a guitar hit will just like have this like repeated delay thing on like a reggae record. Maybe like a a spring reverb, like that, that got used a lot in uh, like dub and reggae music. Yeah, but they'll like, I don't know what they're doing, but it'll sort of like just really kind of thing. And I just love that effect. It's like a really like old school 70s reggae thing. But those are just like three little sounds that I like, I guess. Well, we've got a song. We'll do an 808. We'll get that soul vocal sample gun. And then we'll get the the reverb and the reverber or the reverse guitar. Sounds like a plan. We're we're going to do this. A Mintrax live stream where we we put all these together. (laughs) All righty. Uh, then, um, Bob Buell and Michael Moran and a few other listeners want to know, have either of you done the Wizard of Oz thing with, uh, Dark Side? Have you lined them up and watched the movie along with the album? <laughs> um, so I did. Ooh, okay. It was in college. It was a long time ago. And, um, I, it, I remember being cool. I think I was in like sort of a different state of mind right. so to speak at the <laughs> time and so my memories of it are not super uh crisp let's say but i remember i remember we thought it was cool at the time right <laughs> um but I, in a more recent memory i do i did do the other iconic pink floyd thing last year uh there was a middle school in st paul their planetarium i took my nine-year-old daughter to laser pink floyd Ooh. and it was actually like dark side of the moon was like the full-on laser show in the planetarium 
And that was super awesome. And I highly recommend it. If you have a chance to do Laser Floyd, you should absolutely do it. That's like a classic 70s thing. Um, but it was sweet. It was just like you just sat in a dark room and listened to Dark Side, and there was all these like trippy, like laser graphics on the planetarium ceiling. It was sweet. Nice. I, I have not done the Wizard of Oz thing, but I've had a lot of people tell me that I should now. So uh, I'll see. I'll, I'll report back if I do. Yeah, there's a handy link uh, that one of the listeners left. I'm sure you can find it easily on YouTube, but it's the whole movie, yeah. or rather the important parts of um, of uh, Wizard of Oz aligned with the album. And right. it's just like a quick click these timestamps to see where the fun things happen because otherwise it's just kind of music accompanying it and it's like when he says destroy the uh wicked witch of the west throws the the hourglass and it breaks against the ground when when he says you know look to the left then uh, judy garland turns her head to the you know st- stage right so she's looking left and it's like a lot of cute little things like that it, mm. it's never felt super strong to me but uh it, it, it's fun you know why why rain on somebody's parade why poop on right. somebody's parade? <laughs> I mean, I will say with the advent of being able to double up and triple up YouTube videos now, there was a day in college where I put um, George Michael's Careless Whisper with a bunch of other songs or videos and swapped between which works with which. Uh, Careless Whisper's video works with a lot of songs. It's pretty funny. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's fun, at least. I love that song. Is that song. the sax? Like, and then he one? kind of approaches, yeah, yeah. He approaches up like a rope or uh a chain you know symbolizing the chain that he's broken with this relationship and you can just do all kinds of weird interpretations with different music because somehow it syncs up pretty well Uh, we'll have to check that out that sounds trippy it's it's really fun (laughs) especially when you're some nerdy college kid talking about semiotics at that point it's just like yeah let's let's go dig into the symbols in this music video <laughs> get to do a rhetorical analysis of wham yeah oh, I, yeah i would do a dissertation on that let me yeah. just do a dissertation on youtube doubling with uh yeah. gold digger and careless whisper i'm not kidding you That's i would right. read that i would pay to read that <laughs> kids kids get the most out of that hundred grand uh, liberal arts degree <laughs> what, yeah when it. you're doing media theory think about semiotics and think about the science um of careless whisper and that wonderful saxophone <laughs> it's truly a sociological text um <laughs> emt clark says that uh or rather wants to know what is your favorite video game soundtrack um before anybody answers i'm going to throw my head in the ring on matt's guess which is going to be the voodoo vince soundtrack if i'm wrong i don't want to know it <laughs> <laughs> voodoo vince is underrated voodoo vince is a good soundtrack for sure um I guess you know it's. Um, I don't know. I don't know what people consider what counts. I mean, to me, the the Grand Theft Auto Vice City soundtrack at okay. the time was like super amazing, and just in terms of like nobody had done a licensed soundtrack to that degree, and like no one still to this day, I don't think has as good of like musical taste as like Rockstar Games does. Um, so that was just sort of impressive because like, and they they came out with that like six CD box set and stuff. And that was just kind of cool. Um, one kind of like, um, God damn it. Uh, Rizza did the soundtrack and now I'm spacing on the game. Is it Afro Afro Samurai? Afro Samurai. Yeah. Afro Samurai. That's a really good soundtrack since we're going to be talking about hip hop. Right. Uh, Rizza's Afro Samurai soundtrack's really good. And that's, that's, that's one that's worth tracking down. I should, I should go check that out. I, I think I played the Afro Samurai demo back in the day, but never played the full thing. Um, I have a really, I have a, I have a weird one. Hell yeah. Um, I would also say that Hotline Miami soundtrack might be up there in terms of curated, curated Ooh. stuff. So good. Um, but have you guys ever played the Half-Life 2 mod Neo Tokyo? 
Uh, I've I have not. not. It's weird because it's basically a Counter-Strike like multiplayer mod, but it has a soundtrack by Ed Harrison, who did the breach mode for Deus Ex Mankind Divided, I want to say. But the soundtrack for Neo Tokyo is one of the best video game soundtracks that I've ever listened to. And it's for a multiplayer mod where they just put the soundtrack in uh, like a source mod <laughs> server playlist that you can listen to in game. Like there's no single player for it, but it's amazing. Wow. Matt, I think uh, I hate to bring it in this late, but I think Justice might be a nerd. Uh, uh, no. Oh. Uh. No, that accusation has never come across my desk. What am I supposed to do with that? I'm I'm really interested in like that. Is it community created or is uh, Harrison a known composer? Um, Ed Harrison's a a known composer. I don't know that like outside of Mankind Divided, I think that's kind of been the biggest project that he's worked on. But if you go on Spotify and search Neo Tokyo, it's a two hour and 23 minute soundtrack. Whoa. I think you can download it for free too off of his website. Um, but it, it goes some places, has some really great builds and it's, it's something, it's like a big question mark for me. Like what would this game have been if the soundtrack was this good? If they ever did want to do a single player campaign based on it. Uh, but hey, I love my obscure source mods. They're good. Wow. I'll have to check that out. Oh, Jason, can I, I want to change my, or add another one. Cause I'm so, I'm terrible, but like thinking of stuff when people ask me favorites, uh, Max Payne three was done Ooh. by band health, which okay. was sort of, they were really like underground kind of noise experimental band. And they did a really cool kind of like, kind of unsettling kind of synth soundtrack to Max Payne 3, which I know that game I thought was cool. I don't know how well it did, but um, the Max Payne 3 soundtrack by the band Health is a really, really cool soundtrack and another Rockstar one. There's been a really interesting, uh, like, critical reappraisal of Max Payne 3 in the last, like, few years to where Mm -hmm. people are hailing it as, like, oh, really? One of the better Rockstar games, actually. Interesting. Uh, Which I'm I'm on board for that take. I don't remember a whole lot from that game because I played it at release and then put it down for, what, 10 years or something. Uh, but I, I really want to get back into it, and I'm going to listen to the soundtrack uh, to to get myself in the mood for it. I should awesome. I should play that game. I've always it's been a Steam sale. Like I should get that at some point for about a decade, probably. Yeah, for me, I was um, very. Surprised. I really liked it. Yeah, I liked it more than most people did okay. at the time. I, I played a little bit of Max Payne too, but I, I I have not gotten all the way through it. So maybe I'll have to go and do a full on Remedy play because I also need to go play Control again. Um, yeah, yeah. I might I might skip Quantum Break though. I don't know about that one. If I can cheat, I would also throw out two other uh albums that I really like. The Wait Lovely Planet soundtrack is so good. Are you guys familiar with that game? The Lovely Planet. I no. feel like I know the name, but I haven't played it. I have not. Yeah, so it's this weird kind of like time trial first person shooter in this beautiful pastel colorful world, and the soundtrack supports that in such a nice way. It's just so comforting and happy for a game that actually gets really frustrating because you have to go and jump around turn around in the middle shoot this object and then try and beat the level in the shortest amount of time possible like it's very hectic and the soundtrack conveys that but while also just making you feel good about yourself i don't know um and tower of heaven which is a flash game also does a soundtrack that's similar to that um just in a much more chiptune focused aesthetic that really like it's a game where it consistently adds rules to make your game harder. So it's a platformer in which sometimes it'll say you can't jump or you can't go to the left. Um, it's a really interesting, frustrating game. But the song and the the just general soundtrack 
really makes you feel like you can reach up to that tower and get it up there and do it, even though it's as frustrating as Dark Souls can be at times. Nice. And that's that sort of feeds to the uh, what you were saying about Hotline Miami. That, so- that soundtrack while you're playing the game, just how intensely it builds and how yeah. fucking blood pumping it gets. And then right whenever, when the levels, like when your level is finished, it just cuts out completely and makes you mm-hmm. stomp back through the dead bodies in right. silence. Oh yep. man, what a moment. And then it hits the, the end of the level screen and you're just trying to relax and recover from all of that. Um, Scattle, I would say, is probably my favorite composer off the Hotline Miami uh, soundtrack. And I would check out Scattle's stuff elsewhere because there's a lot of content and a lot of it's good. Excellent. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, uh, I'm not going to say much about it. I won't defend this, uh, but I would in private. Uh, the Breath of the Wild soundtrack... I mm. cannot get enough of. I listen to that all the time. It is a perfect compliment to that game. Um, but that's another conversation for another day. Matt, let's have a special <laughs> bonus episode of Mintrax where we just get this <laughs> we'll just, for that. We'll break. We should probably do some video game music. We, we at should some at some point. I'm uh, not going to spoil anything, but we, sh- we should sooner than you think. Um, well, well, do I... Am I? I'm not letting I mean, you. Am, I, am I in the loop anymore in this show, or is that just sort of like? <laughs> I feel like I'm being handled like I'm Trump now. You guys just like make moves and just <laughs> trot the old man around where he needs to be. Uh, okay. Uh, well, we're gonna close the uh, podcast um, after uh, a quick outro, but we're going to close it with a uh, a song suggested by the community, as we usually do. Thank you very much for everybody's suggestions and for leaving questions and comments on the Patreon post. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, even if it's just tapping five stars. That's a great way to let uh, other people know that we're a good show. Um, but Caleb Murray's uh, suggested song for this week is "Crows" by the Delta Saints. Uh, was suggested. Um, uh, through, of course, the Patreon post. I'm sort of losing the thread here because I'm scrolling through my phone, getting back to his comment. It was a good comment. Uh, it is no questions, song, and then a link to the song. And I appreciate that. Thank you for being direct and to the point, Caleb. Uh, but we are going to close with that song after after a quick uh, exunt by our host, Matt. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Justice, thank you so much for your time. It was really fun. Yeah, thank you for having me on it. It was super fun. And, uh, you know, I don't feel like I talk to talk about music as much anymore. I really should. I miss you know, it. We're, we're getting that a lot from our guests. And I love that this is an outlet for them. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's I've... super fun. Everybody go listen to music. It's fantastic. <laughs> check, check out music. Yeah, take. music. Uh, it's good stuff. I recommend it. Um, but seriously, thank you, uh, Justice, and uh, you know, good luck with everything at, at Skybound. And uh, maybe uh, you'll have to come uh, visit us again sometime down the road. Yeah, happy to. Always happy to come back. Awesome. Thanks, Justice, for being on. Thanks, Matt, for being a great guest. And thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs> Goodbye.
But it's looking thin 